The film was too radical for the business class, but it was too conservative for the workers. Most Hollywood movies are anti-labor, whether they start union members, strong working class members, whatever. Well, so I got onto it and I took my breath away. Okay, folks, another great Labor Goes to the Movies movie club discussion for you today. We've got more viewer reaction to Miss Marks, by the way. All the films have now been released, and you can come in the AF Silver's DC Labor Film Fest virtual screening room. We've got a link in the show notes. And we hear from Kathy M. Newman, an English professor at Carnegie Mellon, who writes regularly on class and culture, and who's currently at work on a book, entitled Backstory, Film, Television, and Social Class in the 1950s, which includes an entire chapter on the rarely seen and recently restored 1951 film, The Whistle at Eaton Falls, which again is still available in the AFI Silver's DC Labor Film Fest virtual screening room. Thanks for listening to this edition of Labor Goes to the Movies. We've got one more open session coming up Thursday, May 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. You can RSVP at the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you at the Labor Movies. Those are the very terms you told Mr. Doubley the union would never agree to. Yes, you've heard it before, but you do it this way or the plant folds for good. What about those men who will still be on the streets? The other half. Unemployment money doesn't exactly nourish the soul. We found that out. Abby, if the union will agree to one man and two machines, I hope, and it's still just a hope, that it won't be long before everyone's back on the payroll. It's just a matter of time. We've heard that one, too. Bill, the people in this town are so badly off, they take any offer that's made to them. Why don't you admit it? I don't know what you're aiming at, but you haven't been able to bust the union yet. You think I've been trying to? Do you? I took this job with the union's blessing. And what I said then still goes. I want a company where the workers will prosper with a management. What you don't know is that I promised myself I'd quit if I couldn't find a way to keep the other half working. If I don't succeed, I'll be without a job too. Our policy is still the one you set. One man to a machine. Brad, we can't talk for the union. There has to be a vote. Milton, welcome. Hey, hey, yes. Milton. hey yes. Milton. How you welcome. doing? Doing okay. Doing okay. I had a strange uh, experience here. Want to share with you. I think the universe must have been talking to me. <clears throat> But I tried to get on to the lunchroom. By wow. the way, I, I did see the chambermaid, and it's good we can talk about that. Okay. So uh, I couldn't get on the lunchroom. Did you try to do it today? Yeah. I tried to get on to Nazir, and I couldn't get on either. Oh. Uh, it hmm. said that there was, there was some line, and I... Then I went and busied myself, and I said, yeah. oh, "It's probably it's it's not on our end; it's their end." <laughs> well, it kept saying "plug in the five dollars," so I did that, and it kept staying right on that place. Mm. So I tried, tried, didn't work. So, um, kind of a desperation, I said, "I'm going to try another film," and this was one that I wasn't sure I wanted to. See, because some of you guys didn't give it the highest mark. That was Miss Marks. Oh, we had quite a conversation about that. Yes. Right. Well, so I got onto it and I took my breath away. I yeah. was really taken by it. And tell I us said, more. No. Tell us more. Well, yeah. Well, I think the, the thing that got me, I said, uh, the spirits of Marx. Must have got to me, otherwise I wouldn't be seeing it. I would have been watching the other film, uh-huh. and, and so uh, it even started off. It got my attention because 
it's she's talking about her owners talking about her parents and the yeah. love that they had. Yeah. And she mentions the future is ours, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's a very important piece. Mm -hmm. And I have a book in front of me that I've been reading. It's called We Own the Future. And it's democratic socialism of a, in American style. So here, who owns the future? So I, I thought that was it's all connected. All connected there, Milton. Everything is connected, right? So um, I was actually taken by how the actress herself was. I don't. I was just touched by her. It was so overwhelming, mm -hmm. and um, and the character that she plays. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you have to identify with with Miss um, Marks here, what, what she's had to go through, and um, <clears throat> there were a couple of things I just wanted to mention here. Um, There was one piece I would have wanted to know more about. About 1848, when she was 17, she was called in or questioned about the Paris Commune. I would have liked to know more about that story because that that sounded really interesting. Mm -hmm. Are you going to research for that for the crew? I was going to say, yeah, I I, I should try you, to. Check you're, that. I'm volunteering you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> A tough crowd here. It's a tough crowd. I can't yeah, leave. I, I studied and did homework and research for tonight. All right. Oh, oh. all right. See? She's got the right. All right. Idea. Bring it on. Bring it on. All and right. the speech that she gave um, about women's rights. Whoa. Uh, that, that was also pretty powerful. That was it powerful. was. We're talking about Miss Marks, Kathleen. We're, we're, we're going back to that for a minute because Milton got okay. it. Yeah. And, and and just so you know, this this is kind of the way that it tends to go. We 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 hop around. So and I know okay. that you you're, you are perfectly. Yeah, I'm sorry to... for going off. The no, no, no. Here. This is this is part of it. Uh, and, go, and go ahead. It was, yeah, it's such a utopian view she had about the ultimate relationship between men and women. Hmm. Uh, even divorce wouldn't be part of it because there'd be connections and there would um, make it special. Mm -hmm. So that that really mm -hmm. uh, that really kind of touched me. Yeah, um, I thought I that guess, I thought that speech was worth the whole was yeah. worth the whole thing right there. Right, and I just had a just the struggle that she had with the man that she was living with, mm -hmm. not her husband, and then she has to meet up with his real wife and. All, all of the things that kind of tore at her at the end uh, and realizing that she, he really didn't love her. Um, and it, it seemed to me not problematic that she commits suicide. It seemed like everything was, in a sense, her life, her relationships were collapsing to some extent. And so that that seemed to be a way out. But Ultimate self-control there, right? <laughs> or <Right>. not? <laughs> so um, I, I just want to th thank you guys, even though you didn't talk it up. But I, I oh, got no, to no, it. no, Milton, yeah, yeah. I loved it. You yeah. loved it. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, I had the same reaction you did from the opening sequence. I was like, "Whoa, what is this?" No, they, those two, Chris and Patty. <laughs> We're being mischaracterized. I actually, <laughs> yes. Although, yes. Although I did agree with them about the ending. No, and and we actually we had this exact discussion with my with my global labor film fest group today, which was which was that I was telling the story about my son who I used to take to movies all the time when when he was a kid would get really annoyed with me because we'd come out and he wanted to know you know was it a good movie or a bad movie and. You know, that's not really the question. I mean, Kathy can probably probably has written the whole book on this. I mean, you know, so sometimes there's a good movie, but it has problems. And sometimes there are bad movies that are really interesting. And to say whether it's a good movie or bad movie. So I did I didn't hate it and I didn't dislike it. I had trouble with some of it. Uh with and, and that was actually I thought what made for a really interesting conversation, right, Patty? We we just had a Absolutely. Bunch oh, Fantastic. It was a great conversation. It was.
And it motivated me to do the research. And so <laughs> Kathleen, you are the research goddess That's amongst right. us uh, 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 in so this I, time I, period. I, I, need, I need to give her her official, uh, and I learned something new when I was uh, emailing with her. So she goes by Kathy M. Newman, which, you know, like I always wondered, like in journalism, a lot of people like, like when you go to write for the New York Times, you come Christopher D. Garlock which always seemed kind of precious to me. But Kathy has a very good reason for why she goes by Kathy M. Newman. And Kathy, you should tell people why. Oh, please. Uh, there were so many people born <laughs> in the late 1960s with my exact name who went into academia and some write about film and some write about class. Uh, so um, I'm, wow. often, I'm often confused with Catherine Newman, who I think is a dean now at Johns Hopkins, uh, but has written many important books about class. Uh, and then there's a Kathleen Newman who teaches uh, Spanish film studies at the University of Iowa. Those are my two big uh, people that, that people confuse me with. But my dream is to have an academic conference of just Kathleen Newmans. Oh, there's, so <laughs> there's so many of us. We could just, we could fill a whole program. So there is a band made up of four guys who have the exact same name. It's like John Smith. It was on NPR during the pandemic and, and one's a, a school teacher and, and they connected online and started to perform. And one of them is over in the Nordic, a Nordic country and and one is in Baltimore and one is uh, in like Southern PA. So those two have connected. That actually sounds even more fun than an academic conference is to no, start. No, no, I, I, think, I think a Kathy <laughs> Newman conference is, is, uh, is, a, is a great idea. Kathy M. Newman, she's an English professor at Carnegie Mellon University. She's a regular blogger at Working Class Perspectives and she's used to getting emails from me after she does uh, one of her, her blog posts, the latest one. And if you haven't heard it, you really got to go check it out. Uh, she did one on sea shanties and the pleasure of work. And it's just brilliant. Um, and then she, uh, then she did it uh, for our Labor History Today podcast. And I got uh, one, of, one of my most favorite podcasts. I got to uh, mix in sea shanties with Kathy's brilliant writing. It, it really works well. And I think the whole thing is what, like eight minutes, right, Kathy? So yeah, that was really fun a lot of fun so check that out uh and that she's working right now on a book called backstory film television and social class in the 1950s i invited her just because i knew she was interested in labor films in general and it turns out she's got a whole chapter in her book on the movie that we've been watching the whistle eaton falls which is celebrating its 70th anniversary um so we wanted to have her on to talk about that and lead the discussion uh, I also asked Tom to make sure he was here today, uh, A, because I thought he'd have interesting things to say, and B, because at 7.30, uh, I am going to disappear. Um, <laughs> uh, and so uh, y'all will carry on. And so uh, Elise and, and Tom will be the official co-hosts. And so Kathy, Kathy M., I, I, I cannot, I, I watched this movie the other night and I was just, fascinated and i cannot wait to hear uh what you have to say about it so sister the floor is yours well let me start with some questions for you uh what i mean what were some of your first impressions i mean i'll say that for a 70 year old film uh it it actually held up incredibly well although as elise and i were saying and this is a whole other thing maybe but you know, that is like the whitest town. I, <laughs> I I don't think I saw a single person of color in old Eaton Falls. But I also was just amazed at what, as somebody in the labor movement, what, a, a, it's a fairly complex treatment of yes. labor management relations for 1951. I, I you know, And they I actually it, use the term, right? the um his first act as a boss uh and the local comes in and gives him that you know <laughs> boss's briefcase full you know with the emblem of the local on it i'm like swag started early <laughs> but he talked about a labor management committee 
and he actually did that when he was the uh, the steward or the president, president he hung yeah. these those bird boxes basically all over the plant Elise? Yeah. No, go ahead oh. um yeah i i i actually was sort of taken by the music because uh, it was very dramatic and very, very dirge-like. And I just thought, like, 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 you're talking about the working classes. I was like, honey, honey, honey. I mean, it could have been like, you know, Mr. Mr. Whatever Smith goes to Washington or, you know, uh, all in the family or something, you know, something up. But I just, it just had that really heaviness to the, the start of it. So it made me wonder about the director. Uh, oh, he's a piece of work. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so I can tell you a little bit about what inspired this film. Um, it's interesting, Chris, that you mentioned race because um, Louis de Rochemont is the producer. He's an eccentric uh, New Englander uh, yeah. born at the turn of the last century. And he um, experimented with a, a, a form called docu-noir, which is a little bit like... Um, uh, neorealism, but it sometimes people argue it had a more conservative feel to it. It had like a almost like what we think of today as docudramas um, on like the History Channel or something like that. So that's the sort of the origin of the style. And he had made some successful films on a very low budget. He filmed on location and he had just made a film about a, uh, a, a doctor in yes. New Hampshire who discovered lost boundaries lost boundaries thank you um that he, the doctor discovered that he was actually uh african-american and uh the sort of the scandal and the the controversy that that uh that that created uh for that for that community and it was based on a true story do you do you know about that film i do well i, I researched do. it and i found I, out about it I saw, <laughs> I saw it it's a fascinating film and then you have to you have to blink when you say they made this film in 1951 um, and then they give up on the subject for the next, you know, X number of years. So yeah, decades. Yeah, <laughs> Farrar, you know, a wonderful old standard actor um, is. All right, who's guilty? That's not me. <laughs> Let me turn off my phones. <laughs> anyway, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I have a memory that it was a, fasc that it was a fascinating film and when I, my, the same with this film. When you see 1951, uh, you know that uh, such it's films as uh, Garment Jungle and On the Waterfront are coming, but this this film was a surprise. Well, if you think about it, I mean, one thing we know about the 1940s is that the 1940s was probably the high watermark for labor radicalism in the United States, you know, mm. sort of from the mid 30s to the, to the late 40s. Um, kind of maybe cresting uh, um, with the with the pushback of the Taft Hartley Act. So this is a time of 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 incredible labor radicalism. I think Louis de Rochemont was so high. He was so like excited about his success with Lost Boundaries that he thought he could make a film about anything. He thought he could make a film on something that was controversial that nobody would make films about, like labor. And it was actually a Harvard business professor that came to him and wanted to make some documentaries based on his case files. And the business professor said, hey, you know, can you help me? And Louis de Rochemont was so excited from Lost Boundaries. He's like, let's make a feature film using <laughs> your case studies. So they blended four case studies uh, from this business professor's files and, uh, and that's that's how that's how this movie was born it was sort of born out of the excitement and the hubris and really the miscalculation uh that uh that de rochemont could sell a labor film uh to uh to uh, to the business class he tried to sell it to the business class the film was too radical for the business class but it was too conservative for the workers uh, so he, you know, he he kind of he created a film that sort of had the worst of both worlds for that moment, for that particular moment of 1951. He also filmed it entirely in, on the in the in the Northeast. So he was outside of Hollywood, 
and um, he spent like 10 years before doing the time reels that showed in the movie theaters, you know, that really shaped people's perception. And he was getting CIA money and stuff. I mean, um, so he's truly fascinating. Um, yeah, that's right, Patty. I mean, you wouldn't put, you wouldn't elect this kind of supercharged anti-communist uh, cold warrior. You wouldn't think, oh, he's gonna make a kind of an interesting pro-labor film. Yeah. You yeah. wouldn't put those things together. Yeah. Um, but again, I think it was his confidence uh, that that um, I think also the conservative class to some extent accepted labor unions as a fact of life. Uh, um, Rachel Maddow has this great line. She says, I'm a, I'm a liberal, which means I agree with everything in the Republican party platform from 1956. Um, so, so conservatives didn't you like that Milton <laughs> yeah, they didn't have a vision that they could sort of pare down uh, what was a very strong very powerful movement in this period Kathy can we go back for just a minute what gave him the confidence from lost boundaries what was it about lost boundaries that he, he made a lot of money <laughs> it was commercially successful he spent very little to make it, and it and it, he had pretty good box office for the film. And have, you, have, you seen it? have you seen it? Yes. Huh. We we need to see it. We need to yeah, see it. Tom, I, I would Tom, recommend. Have Tom, have you seen it? Yes, it's worth it's worth seeing. So he I, uses. I've white never heard of it. I've never heard of it. So did I. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, it's 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 like a lot of films that disappears. I mean, if, unless somebody. Uh, like Kathy, and uh, in, in some cases, so Demont I donated it to MoMA, hmm. the Museum of Modern Art. Lost boundaries. Yep. Oh, I didn't realize that. Hmm. So, so Kathy, I'm curious about how this particular movie, which frankly I'd never heard of, I mean, it was AFI that knew about it, and they're like, "Oh, it's the 70th anniversary. There's this new print." Uh, you know, restoration. So they were the ones that knew about it. And, you know, I'm supposed to be the labor film guy, but how does this, how does this film become a chapter in your book? Well, you won't be surprised to know this, but it's because of Tom Zaniella's book. Uh, Tom. Oh, connected. Oh, my professor Tom. Not even my birthday. <laughs> One degree of separation here, baby. Tom, <laughs> I'm glad you took a shower and your hair looks great tonight. <laughs> it's, not too, it's, it's not too Trumpian. It's not too dumb. It's not too it's, Trumpian. It's a little Trumpian. It's, it's a, a little, little Trumpian. Trumpian. <laughs> so, I mean, what I love about your work, Tom, is you say, let's let's not analyze these movies for whether or not they're pro-labor or anti-labor, because let's face it, most Hollywood movies are anti-labor, whether they start uh, union members, strong working class members, whatever. But look at the number of films that actually are set in sort of labor situations. And so this is a film uh, about a worker, uh, the president of a union who becomes the president of his company so you could so you could read it from a conservative point of view, right? He sells out and becomes the boss, or you could say the workers come to own the means of production. You know, you could you can kind of see it either way. Um, he he has to furlough his friends; they're very angry at him. Um, but you get working class people saying things like, "I can't even afford a secondhand car." You know, you get sort of information about how, about what working class lives look like and feel like in this period. Um, so, so Tom, what you've done, and I think I probably, every chapter in my book started with an entry in, in one of one, one or more of the editions of uh, your book that, that starts with, uh, with the word working stiff. Yes. Um, so so that's, that's how I found all these films because you're not a snob uh, and, and you don't think that we have to give a film a political litmus test in order to be interested in it. Hmm. That reminds me of why I put box, the film called Boxcar Bertha. Mm. 
which nobody would touch with a 10-foot pole. And I think it's probably the same reason. Also, I like shocking people a little bit, too. We showed it. We, we showed it in the Labor Film Festival. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people said that, need was to a, reprise that was some a of sex, these. That was a sexploitation <laughs> film and should not be shown. That, I mean, mm. it was dismissed. Okay. Anyway. Well, thank you, Kathleen, for paying attention to me. <laughs> <laughs> you make an impression, brother. You know, I was really impressed with the female characters hmm. in this film. Um, that you had um, a, a woman on the board um, and she, her name was Abby and um, she's smoking, um, she's standing up, you know, being very assertive. Um, I was intrigued by the beautiful young woman that does this, the one song you know, the duet before the square dance. Um, <laughs> and um, she was Anne Francis, that's what it is. And so she's posing in this bathing suit, right? And everything like that. And, you know, then I started to think, is that her husband? And I didn't see any rings on the fingers. I actually went back and looked. And that they had her in the 50s, in a room without her husband, right? Um, that was something that the, was you. Fiance, I thought, but uh, Elise, right? Wasn't she the guy's the, the oh, guy's fiance, Elise? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. How, guy with how do you face? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> hey, he was um, the one who saved their bacon in the end because he's the one that figured out, you know, the. He's little... like, I got this idea, oh, yeah. you oh, know, yeah. how to cut a pie. Right? I, I, I don't know. The cut a pie. I don't know like, why. I don't know why the lamp light bulb I, go off. <laughs> I don't know why that lamp with the with the with the cigarette lighter didn't work. I'd have bought one of those <laughs> if I smoked and if I had bad taste. Uh, Patty, I want to pick up on what you just said because Abby has this great line uh when um the workers are trying to crash the wildcat strike. Yep. Yep. And she says, isn't there a man here with guts enough to follow yep. me? Yep. So yeah, she, right. she has that great line. And one thing that I find very uh, kind of not persuasive about this movie is that the wildcatters are sort of the bad guys, but their wildcat strike isn't very impressive. I mean, the energy it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> It's the worst wildcat strike ever. The, the, the energy in that scene comes from the crowd yep. and the crowd is, is excited because they're going to get to go back to work. But they were hesitant. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were hesitant. It, it and I would immediately assume it's because it was the woman who was standing up, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah. I got to, you know, I got to break that habit. <laughs> Interesting. Well. I mean, I think maybe the maybe the filmmakers were trying to suggest that this was a class divided against itself, right? They had to cross a picket line in order to do that. Um, no, I, Robert, that's right. Yeah, Robert Siodmak is the director. He was known for noir films in the in the 40s, um, and he was a refugee from Nazi Germany, um, uh, who who went to France and then uh, went to Hollywood. And he said that he loved to film crowd scenes. He said, uh -huh. to direct a crowd is the easiest thing in a picture. Give me a thousand people storming the barricades in the French Revolution, and I'll bet my lunch won't even have time to get cold. Everything falls in line to a, with a crowd. So I'm, I'm kind of picturing him filming this crowd scene and, and he's sort of getting everybody excited. And I, I do feel like that excitement comes through. It's just, it's not the excitement of the strike. It's the excitement of that they're going to go back into the factory yep. and find out that that because of this labor-saving innovation, that more work is going to be available for them. Three shifts. Three <laughs> shifts. I love that. I love the three shifts. We're going to have three shifts. Like, really? Ooh, ah. Yeah. <laughs> so some other women, um, let's talk about his wife. She just is like Beverly Hills, you know, Beverly Hillbillies, right? I'm going to become, I'm going to become, I need to have all the accoutrements. I need the new car, you know, 
we're going to have a builder come build stuff, which they lived in a big house, actually. He, his, their house was very nice. Um, and then the owner's wife, who was very um, adamant in supporting. What was his name? Brad Adams. Brad. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's a fairy tale kind of move to take the head of the union and make him into the head of the company. So I think they needed her to kind of maneuver that role. But then I think his wife is symbolic of kind of middle-class consumerism. And so she's there so that we can understand the resentment of his colleagues that he's had mm -hmm. to furlough. Oh, interesting. So that, you know, they're, they're moving up in the world, but uh, he's, he's furloughed all of them while he tries to figure out how to keep the factory going. Um, and I, you might know that that was Ernest Borgnine's first oh, film. You, you, you picked up my brain. I was thinking about that. He becomes the local president. Him, him I love, and I love Murray Hamilton too. And I, I, I actually wanted more of Murray, Murray Hamilton in this. Because Which I, one was Murray Hamilton? He's the leader of the uh, opposition. Oh, the opposition, yes. Yeah. So Elise, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think he's pretty cute. And like yes. he's walking, <laughs> when they, they walk off the job, when the, um, when the, when the labor-saving machines are delivered, mm -hmm. and he walks through the steam, and it's this kind of beautiful scene where if you are rooting for him, he's kind of like an avenging angel. But if you're, if you're maybe a capitalist looking at the movie, you're like, ooh, he's a bad guy. So I think he's got some real stage presence that comes through in that film. I agree. I agree. Now I think the role of the wife is interesting because I I, I didn't I didn't get it. So I, I really appreciate your 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 take on it and, and for you bringing it up, Pat, because it just didn't make sense to me. You know, but I, I think overall in the film, it is it is still the uh, the the American dream that if you work hard enough and you do the right things, yes. you'll advance. And uh, and what's what's weird is the union part of it, right? What's weird is that he's the president of the union, becomes the president of the company, and how the wife knew him, how the owner's wife knew him, uh, and had that that confidence in him was like, hey, really? Like you've been hanging out in the cafeteria or something? Like how do you know this guy? Um, but I thought we're just going too, too deep here, Elise. <laughs> not, not real. You know, I, I gotta say, I think this is um, one of, I mean, it's in my top tier, maybe the first in terms of really defining the union, showing the union, um, um, you know, they had the sergeant at arms, um, you know, so the, they did a tad of Robert's rules, but not very much. Um, <laughs> And, uh, um, but that's all I got. I, I mean, we see a union meeting. Yeah. We see yeah. a union meeting and a union hall. Right. And, and a vote. And a vote. Yep. I, I mean, I just completely geek out over that stuff. Uh, <laughs> because I, I think that that's not, um, yeah, that's not what we normally see on the silver screen. No. And I, I love the scene of the crowd coming out of the hill, you know, when they were going to gather against the wildcat strike and you see them gathering and coming over the hills. And I, it's a great well, shot. It's a great shot of them coming, coming down the road. And one of the things that Steve Jones and I have talked about in terms of labor theater is that you have to have a chorus because you have to have the masses. You have to have the members. You can't I'll do be that. a chorus girl. <laughs> it gave me a, a three-person, four-person thing, right? Because the people, the members, are the essence of the union. And if they're not in it, if they're not in the show, then it's not really a union show. So I think that's interesting that the, uh, the, the director uh, was into the crowd scene thing because it was one of those moments for sure. Kathy, can I ask you a question? Did your research cover the screenplay, the screenwriters? That was his wife. Yeah, Louis Louis de Rochemont and his, his wife Virginia wrote. They wrote it themselves. Okay, yeah. I have two names listed for the screenplay, but it should only be one. Uh, what are the names? Um, Lemus Elder 
and Virginia Shaler. Yeah, that's his wife. I don't know as much about Elder. Um, I mean, for a long time, I thought it was a pseudonym. It sounded like a pseudonym. Uh, I'm not remembering his role. I think, he, yeah, I'm not remembering his role, but his wife definitely had the had the greater hand in it. And again, DeRochemont just thought he could do anything. And so uh, Jay Sterling Livingston, the Harvard professor comes to him. Uh, uh, they, they agree. I think he might've paid Livingston $15,000 for the idea. Um, they had lots of meetings at his farm where they sort of hashed out a plot. Blueberry that, Hill or something like mm -hmm. that, right? They would send apples from their farm over to the actors uh, where they were staying in Portsmouth. Like it was a very, it, it's not that different from when your kids want to put on a play like in your backyard. I mean, it had that homey, we can do anything, let's do it, let's write a Hollywood movie. Um, and I, to me, it's kind of a miracle that it's, pretty good because they really they didn't have the kind of talent in terms of writing uh, or it really at, at any level of the film uh, that a typical film would have from the from the point of view of the Hollywood industry they really yeah. were on their own so they used workers in um actual workers uh in the plant um where they shot it um, and I think Keene, New Hampshire was one of them. And so back then you had so many manufacturing facilities up there and textiles and everything. I mean, you could trip over the factories. Yes, but I think there is a kind of depression era feel to the film. And it's because the textile Absolutely. industry had been collapsing for 40 years up to this point. So okay. the, tex the textile industry actually starts moving south in the the 19 teens 1920s okay. really no that makes perfect sense because yeah. i was wondering because i'm thinking this is post-world war ii we're not recovering from the devastation of being bombed out right everything's booming um the auto industry is booming um and this and yet this manufacturing thing is dying and it made me think of kinky boots which has the same problem right in, in, the, in the story What's kinky boots kinky you haven't seen kinky boots the musical? I'm catching up, baby. Okay, okay, yeah. so catching up. It was, it was don't, don't miss it. <laughs> it's about, oh, it's, it's fabulous. It's fabulous. It's about they make the best boots in the world. They make these fabulous, well-made boots. Um, but it's going out of business. It, the, the business is dying. So it made me think about that time period. I was going, this is 1951. How could these manufacturers be closing up? It's And plastic is coming in. I mean, it's, you know, it's becoming the thing. And, and so, I, I, yeah, it makes sense that they were moving because of the unionization in the North to the South. And they, were start, they had started that. And that, uh-huh. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Yeah, I mean, this was something Not that- Paul Schneiderman, did he leave? What happened? He was here, anyway, go ahead. He was here go for a nanosecond. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, I mean, it makes complete sense. Uh, if, if we think about it, New England was the first really industrial part of the United States because yes. of the water power. Right. So right. I think that's why this is called the Whistle at Eaton Falls, because the falls, the water represents the pre-electronic industrial power. That's right. Oh, okay. Yep. So this movie is a story of decline. It's a story yes. of industrial decline in New England. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, the, um, the shoe factory you know, closed first. And right. then when the plant shut down, I mean, and I think they really did, you know, uh, in terms of um, showing in footage that was documented footage, or do you think he actually lined up those kids to get the milk? Um, I, think, I think there was some documentary footage. Cut yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. I think a little bit was. Yeah, I'm putting newspaper in the kids' uh, um shoes and um i think this would be a good you know if, if somebody's got a good um uh early union leadership uh um training that this would be good this would be good 
um, film to show. Well, it's interesting that you say that because that's really how he tried to promote it. And he was desperate to get union leaders to sign on to this film. Oh, and, really? Um, so um, one of the things I own is a copy of the press book. And the press book was the mid 20th century version of what we would think of today as a press packet. And it looks like a little magazine and it has a glossy cover. And in the press book are little anecdotes about the making of the film that you could then just hand the press book to your local newspaper and they could slot those in. So for the press book, uh, DeRochemont worked very hard to get uh, AFL and CIO leaders because they're not united at this point right. in 1951 to say positive things about the film. And they're, they're pretty lukewarm. Uh, they, they sort of, they don't get it that, you know, this cultural text could, could actually help their movement. Uh, the one person who gives it a pretty good thumbs up is David Dubinsky, uh, the ah, UAW, uh, ILG, ILG, uh -huh. and he, um, he really gets culture. In fact, uh, the, the ILG made their own film about their own history in 1950 called With These Hands. Uh, oh. that I think Tom also has written about. Um, so, but the, the labor leaders are like, meh, meh, like they do not, they are not impressed with this movie, but the capitalist class isn't impressed with it either. No, because it's walking straight down the middle of the road. It is. <laughs> straight down the middle of the road. The double yellow line. And yeah. you're right, you just can't win a, but they do, I think, present, let's, you know, in terms of the management side, I mean, they really do kind of like present the numbers, people looking at the numbers, you know, that um, the RFP um, bid opening request for proposal bid opening and, and changing the numbers, you know, like two times and then everybody's waiting and, you know, their number comes up and like four people leave and then somebody does 44 and a half. That's what made, I'm, I'm so glad you shared with us too, Kathy, that this was based on case problems because it was that kind of stuff that made me go, that's really interesting to be in a film. I mean, that they would take the time to show that. Because it seems so specific, right? It seems right. so yes. kind of like drawn. And, and I think lots of people watching that movie, you know, may have kind of related to that. They may have thought, oh yeah, we had a problem at our plant that was similar to that. So I think it, there, there was a realism there that was part of its appeal, um, but it. Oh. Um, I, I've made the joke that it's, it's almost more like you were saying, Patty, like something that you would use for training or in a graduate labor management seminar, than something you would put. Not even a graduate, but, but, but at every level. But so let's just imagine that we take this film and bring it back up as we talk about Buy American, as we talk about um, we need to have more domestic production, right? And so full disclosure, I am on the board of American Roots. American Roots is a clothing manufacturer up in Maine, Westbrook, Maine, and it is fully uh, union um, operated and um, it has been a significant um, um, supporter of um, Portland is a, is a refugee welcoming community. Mm. And it is predominantly women. Um, and, you know, I, I've, I've ridden the waves of American Roots, which started, you know, six years ago or so, you know, Ben Waxman. Elise, do you remember Ben Waxman? Mm -hmm. He worked for the AFL for years. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how, how could we use this film, right? In educating communities, educating union members, um, doing what De Lamont wanted to do. Where did you say it was based, uh, Pat, Patty? You said, did you say a certain city where American Pardon? Oh, it's in it's so the the plant is in Westbrook, Maine. Westbrook, and Maine. When you talked about um, Whistle Falls and how water used to be the power, 
there is a giant factory that's been there probably from the early 1900s that's right on this lovely rolling river that powered it before it was like a mill or something like that so you know 10 floors huge so they have a, a couple of um they have a pretty large place there and you look out the window and you see the river going by so you know re where, where is where is westbrook situated for me uh it's about uh 20 minutes from portland maine yeah. hm. let's go do a road trip i was going to go to maine a, eat lobster and visit the plant <laughs> i want to i want to get back to the film for just a moment um because one of the things that stood out for me was the whistle the factory whistle and it was like i mean it was there it was like in it had its own scenes in its own moments it was just the whistle and i thought what does that mean? What, what are they saying? And, and it, it struck me because growing up in the 50s, I never heard a factory whistle like that. Yeah. It, did you Only live in the movies. Where, did, I, I mean, I think, you know, I've, I've heard these whistles reproduced. I live in Pittsburgh now. So I know mm -hmm. that, here's my hypothesis, that for some places, the factory whistle was one of the keynotes, was one of the, the key sounds, like the train, Mm -hmm. uh, like the church bells yeah so that this was but but the the fear in this town is that the whistle will sound no more so it's really yes it, the, the the argument of the film is that if labor and management can't work together that uh industry is going to die in the u.s um which uh -huh. was an argument that other uh elites, journalists, some, some labor advocates were making at the same time. It doesn't acknowledge the fact that labor was incredibly, U.S. labor was incredibly productive in this period and deserved, a, a, yeah, right, deserved a bigger cut of that pie, right? We see the pie cutter. The pie uh, cutter so, was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> And so in, in the chat, I put a link so that you can see one of the movie posters that advertised the film. Okay. And so one of my arguments is that the reason why the film failed is that Columbia Pictures refused to say what the movie was about. Mm. So if you look at this poster, it says the picture that comes right out and says it. And you see kind of a weird little picture of where the wildcat strike gets run over and you see. Uh, can you share screens at the moment? Sure. Elise, uh, can you do that? Uh, you're sure. now the, you're uh, now uh, the hey, host. No, uh, and now uh, Kathy can share. I just made, uh, made it possible for everybody to share. There you go. Okay, yes. So, um, so here, here's the poster and um, so, I mean, if we do this close reading here, I mean, I have no idea what this movie is about. The picture <laughs> that comes right out and says it. And so my argument is that the reason why the movie failed is that they refused to say what this movie was about. Uh, I think that's a very good, uh, a good hypothesis theory, probably accurate. I'll go uh, with it. You can say anything you want as long as you say it's a theory. Yeah, that's right. Thank you, Elise. Um, we'll I we'll learned in it. college. <laughs> but Elise, look at the whistle. It's quite prominent. It's yes. in the lower. Yes. Um, it, it's uh, Lloyd Bridges and his wife are down in that little part. Mm -hmm. um, you see Abby in that lower left of, of the She's scene. a She's an animal. I love her. <laughs> we see Murray Hamilton in his cool, yep. like, checkered jacket. Yep. Um, but it it doesn't come right out and say it. No. It's too no. scared to come right no. out and say it. Right. You don't and, know. And I think that's why the, the, the film flopped. So how do we bring it back? Well, we have to get, I don't know. I, who, who owns the rights to it now? I don't know. I just know that there was a, you know, a reel of the film that was given to MoMA. Um, there's a good write-up. Um, that um that talked about the whole restoration of it that was done on trailers from hell.com <laughs> fascinating article about it you laugh so who it, got inspired to do the digital remastering 
Who did it? Come about. Um, that I, I didn't, don't know. I, I didn't know. copy it, but I, I I read about it. I read about it yesterday. Mm -hmm. so, so you'll find that out at trailersfromhell.com okay. slash the whistle at Eden Falls. Okay. The there's a group in Ports Portsmouth. Yeah, I think it's in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Yeah. Uh, that has been uh, preserving and promoting Louis de Rochemont as kind of a local local boy done good. Like uh, they they his archives are up there. Um, that's where I got all of, I, I think I photocopied close to a thousand pieces of paper. And I think I, there were maybe 4,000 more that I didn't, that I didn't look at. Mm -hmm. It's a massive archive. Louis de Rochemont saved every piece of paper related to <laughs> this film. Oh my God. That's just yeah, brilliant, true. but awful. <laughs> it is. So they have kept his memory alive and he, he's an unusual figure in film history because he's not a director and he's not a writer, he's a producer. His films have his stamp on them, even though he hired different writers and different directors for every film. So he's just hes just a weird dude. Um, but his wife was consistent through it. I think she so. She was a screenplay writer, right? I, I don't know if that- Because I noticed that in a couple of, I noticed that for The Boundaries um, and this one too. I don't think she was formally trained, oh. but- No, but I, I, I agree with you on that. And there's a whole thing that they did with Animal Farm, which is a whole fascinating wormhole to go down. Um. Well, they, they hired very reputable animators to do that film. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. they got CIA money to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was made, I don't know it. You, of course, you know it. It's the only animated. It's the only, oh, it's the only one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my. Yes, yeah. then I do know it. <laughs> and there are no words in it, right? I understand that it it's it's there's. Uh, so that that I don't remember. You no, don't... I think there's dialogue. I think there's dialogue. Okay, because I saw inconsistent things about that, but because they used it as a way to frame you know they were they wanted to fight communism yeah you know and so this is when all the mccarthy hearings were starting and lloyd bridges got um um mixed up in that uh -huh. um yeah and 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 uh, the producer did as well yeah lloyd bridges kind of buys a lawyer, like he kind of buys his way um, out of having to testify in front of HUAC. And he gets fingered because of his association with something called the Actors Lab. The yep. Actors Lab was established by a bunch of group theater, um, a kind of folks who go from New York to LA and start, it's, it's an acting school, uh, but it all, they also produce plays. And Bridges was very involved. Uh, there, there and they were, were labeled communists, so. Exactly. So, um, I mean, I think he was quite progressive. I don't know if you followed the careers of his sons, but they're they're very outspoken on a number of liberal causes. Yeah. Uh, they were the with Bridges him. boys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They were with him during the shooting of this film, as toddlers. That's right. That's right. I did read that. Huh. So they say here that um, so Bridges. Um, he was blacklisted briefly in the 1950s after he admitted at the House on American Activities Committee that he had once been a member of the Actors Laboratory Theater, a group found to have links to the Communist Party. He returned to acting after recanting his membership and serving as a cooperative witness, achieving his greatest um, success in television afterwards yeah i love sea hunt <laughs> we, I, I can't remember what it was about or whatever happened but we just watched it every time sea hunt lloyd bridges yeah it's all in so yeah i i, I did read up on him too because i was like lloyd lloyd what happened here he was very he was very popular and i, very I would popular. say uh, partly because he's i don't want to say more working class but less middle class uh as a as a persona as a as a person 
Mm-hmm. Um, I was a big fan of his. I have to comment on the costuming. Okay. I loved how they dressed him. <laughs> and he has the most interesting figure. Um, and so he has these broad shoulders and he's very narrow hipped. And so I love the kind of bomber jacket that they had him in, you know, when he was the president and, and different than everybody, you know, a little bit above the workers, you know, a bit. And, um, and then when he was, you know, a boss and wearing suits and they were cut great. Yeah, he, he wears that big, like, kind of car coat. Yeah. You know, he gets out of the car and he's in, you know, that sort of classic wool, like, floor-length gown of a coat, basically. Yeah. Um, and I, I think they use, I think, I think you're right, Caddy, they use the coats really symbolically to show everybody else is in that um, checkered, plaid, yeah wool yeah coat that zips up the front yeah but yeah he, he gets the better coat well he's the american dream that's, so what about the guy who dies right who is um you know he's part of the union and and he was trying to get people to turn out to the meeting and you know so the the wildcatters were hanging out in the old vacant if i understood it correctly they were hanging out at the old shoe factory that's empty now and he gets hit with a bottle by the uh that guy yeah joe london uh and that actor i'm just blanking on his name right now but he also has a small role in on the waterfront so he plays that kind of working stiff uh, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and i think the almost all of labor films from this period, like somebody has to die. There's some, there's sort of a sacrifice has oh, to yeah. be made. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's Joe, Joe London. Um, but the, his death serves a very, again, kind of gimmicky role in the plot. The workers are moving away from Brad and starting to get uh, their, their ear turned by Murray Hamilton's character. And when Joe London is sort of, half killed half accidentally drowned then they all move back to brad mm -hmm. so the the death the death uh plays a very specific role in the story to get everybody back on brad's side well it's it's, it's an important pivot classic greek tragedy <laughs> it's classic you gotta have that death you have that that person that sacrifice and everything turns the action and it and it happens in real life too i mean yeah there's a lot of uh you know, someone gets killed on the job and people go, wait, that's enough. enough of right. That. That's right. Right. I'm thinking about right. it. So what's that transformative yeah. action that can happen? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we got about two minutes left. Is there anything else? I, I have one, I have one question, Kathy. Do you have some other films in your book worth uh, telling us about? Good pitch question. us on Good or your book. Um, the, the, the chapter that comes after this is on a film called Clash by Night that stars Marilyn Monroe as a sardine cannery worker. Yeah. Oh. And I do write about On the Waterfront, and I have kind of a counterintuitive take on that. I write about The Garment Jungle. I write about Marty, the, the Ernest Borgnine film. And one thing I realized, it's a very popular name in the 50s, but this was something I realized Marty. Uh, Marty is quite close to martyr. So many of these films have the theme that the working class is sort of martyred for American progress. Mm -hmm. uh, that, the, that they were willing to sacrifice the working, that the films sort of oh. one story that they tell is that we're willing to sacrifice the working class uh, in order to have progress. The working mm -hmm. class definitely has something to say about that in this decade. There are more strikes in the 1950s than any other decade in American history. Yeah, I believe it. Huh. Well, I just got to close in that um, we have uh, a laborer, local 223, by the name of Marty Walsh, who's now of <laughs> uh, the laborers, who's now uh -huh. the Secretary of Labor, uh -huh. and Marty. From the great Northeast. <laughs> gives me hope. <laughs> 
I was great. I was looking at my entry on this film and for availability, which I did in that book, but not another book because it was too hard to do. For availability, I have not. Yeah, I saw it in the archives. I'm not, I, I don't know where I got to see it. I, I mean, I did have some I did have some professional bootleggers as contacts in those days. Like but that. Professional fact, bootleggers. Yeah, well, you know, if, if if the film exists, then okay. quite frankly, there's somebody who has stolen it somewhere. And it's just a matter of getting in, getting in, in touch with them. And while I, I would not recommend it, uh, sometimes- okay, We're gonna wrap sometimes, up. Sometimes a VHS dropped through my mail slot is all I can tell you. All righty. <laughs> So what's well, thank, next, Kathy? thank you for including me. This is the most fun I've had all week. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we'll be back next week. You're welcome to join us. Uh, I think is next week our last one. I think as the last uh, uh, DC Labor Fest um, labor goes to the All movie. right. I say my goodbyes to all of you then. Thank you. Okay, have bye. Bye. thank you, Catherine. Thank you. I love you all. Bye. Bye. -bye. Thanks so much. You're welcome.